Gather round and listen to tales of great adventure and brave heroes. Tales of daring individuals fighting monsters and claiming treasure. Tales of bards trying to get into the pants of savage beasts to avoid losing a fight. Tales of people drinking beer, eating pizza, and rolling dice. Tales of people losing their minds over the things that happen to people who only exist in their mind. This is Roland Bones, and I am Ryan Howard. Welcome, one and all, to Roland Bones with Ryan Howard, available wherever you get your fine podcast but hosted on Anchor.fm. I am, of course, Ryan Howard. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg. And welcome to today's show. Uh, This is a really fun one. I had a great time talking to Luke Hart of the DM Layer on YouTube. Uh, Luke is a really fun guy. It was a great conversation. All around, I I just really enjoyed this episode. It was a ton of fun to talk with a guy like this who's, who's spent so much time playing this great game game and you know has developed so many great strategies and is willing to not only share with us on YouTube all the different things that he has done with this game but also share with us here on Rolling Bones all the all the behind the scenes stuff about his videos and and all that cool stuff it's great when a, a fellow content creator comes on the show and is willing to talk about you know why they decided to to publicly start releasing their 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 videos and giving out all this advice and it's always a ton of fun just to just to sit down and and pick the brain of a fellow dungeon master especially one as fun and cool as as luke so we'll get to that interview very shortly uh first and foremost though just a, a few plugs to get out of the way uh firstly broadsword magazine Issue number one is out digitally. I have the PDF. I am awaiting the physical copy. Uh, Once that physical copy comes, I'm going to sit down and read through it, and I will do either a rant or an entire episode, depending on how schedules work out, uh, where I review the magazine in depth. If it's a whole episode, it will obviously be in greater depth. If it's just a rant, 15 minutes worth of depth. But I am looking forward to getting that physical copy, flipping through, looking at the pages. I would review it right right now, but I have a terrible time reading very long uh, PDFs. My eyes just don't like reading stuff off of a computer screen. I don't know what it is. It, it kind of gives me a headache, so I prefer to read things physically. Uh, so that will happen when that comes. Uh, if you are interested in Broadsword Magazine, a 5th uh, edition supplement that comes every month direct from His Holiness DM Dave, then uh, you, can, you can get it via my uh, affiliates link which you can find in the uh, description of this episode on whichever podcatcher you're using. Just follow that link. You will be taken to Samcart, where you can get your PDF, get your physical copy of Broadsword Magazine, get your subscription, and I will see a kickback of that, and I greatly appreciate that. I also, as always, want to give a big shout-out to my great friend Tim and my other great friends on that podcast, Knights and Nerds. They have just recently released a new episode. Tim and I very recently uh, finished recording my Kickstarter bonus for them, which was a uh, a behind-the-screen episode where I blew Tim's mind with a whole bunch of crazy ideas that I had. If you want to hear that, that is apparently coming out in, I think he said mid-October, so got about a month or so before you guys hear that. Uh, it was a great episode. I'm, I'm looking forward to you guys hearing it, though. It's It was one for the ages. It was a great time recording it. We recorded it over two days, and it was just a fun time with Tim. You should all be listening to Knights of Nerds podcast. It is, for my money, the best actual play podcast you can get out there, aside from, like, Critical Role, but they're off in their own universe of actual play. They basically are the patron saints of that genre, so comparing the two is not fair, but the best actual play podcast out there, sorry everyone else who has one, it's Knights and Nerds. 
they have my heart. It's Knights and Nerds, and you should be listening to them every single week. And I also want to throw in some promotion for uh, Luke as well, since he was kind enough to do the show. Uh, you can find him on YouTube. Uh, he is the DM Layer. Uh, you can also find him every week on uh, DMDave.com. Dave always sends out the videos that he's doing. And uh, you can find him on Twitter and Instagram. Just look for the DM Layer. Uh, his logo is very easy to spot. It's a red dragon on a white background. He's an all-around great guy. He has a Patreon. You should definitely support him if you love his content. And honestly, uh, if, if you haven't seen his stuff yet, if you haven't watched any of his videos, I know some of you in my audience might not have, you should do so. He, he gives some really great advice. So, with the plugs out of the way, uh, let's get into today's rant from behind the screen. So, this is going to be kind of a short rant, uh, because honestly, um, all I'm really doing here is plugging someone else's content. But, as you all know, one of my favorite aspects of D&D is roleplay. I love it. I love roleplay. And that's because I approached D&D from a theatrical background. I was an actor when I first started playing D&D. And that's really kind of what drew me in was, you know, I liked video games. I liked the idea of running around in a fantasy world and doing fantasy stuff and hitting things with the sword. You know, that that appealed to my, my gamer side. But D&D had this extra layer of, okay, maybe there's roleplaying in this RPG, but over here... Not only are you playing a role in combat and in tactics and, you know, if you're a ranger, you track, that sort of thing, but you're also playing a role conversationally. You are embodying a character. You are that person for whatever brief amount of time, and that's really what got me to the table. Uh, But recently, a... uh, a man you may have heard of named Matt Colville, who puts out fantastic D&D videos on YouTube, did a video on roleplay, and I really just have to say that was one of the most amazing YouTube videos I've, I've seen on roleplay. I've wanted Matt Colville on my show since episode one. Matt Colville is one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast. That and I just, I want to talk to Matt Colville about Rush for way too long and just irritate all of you. But he has this uncanny ability to explain aspects of the game in a way that's so insightful. It's it's thoughts that maybe you've had about the game, but he just vocalizes them so well and explains how things should work in just in, in the most amazing way and I I I value a lot of stuff that he said. Matt Colville has very much shaped my game, uh, even though he has no idea who I am. His ideas have have taught me a lot about how D&D should be played, and on this one, he really just hit it out of the park. He goes into how, you know, like, you guys know me, I love talking in voices, and how that is traditionally viewed as, oh, that's good roleplay, but that's only one aspect. And what good roleplay really is, is having a fully realized character who changes over time. And some characters will be static, some characters will be dynamic, but he really gets into what it means to play, both as a DM and a player, a fully realized, dynamic, three-dimensional, or multi-dimensional character. And he comes at it from a, a writer's perspective, which is it's a valuable perspective to have. There's a lot of people out there who play D&D who are fantasy writers. I know several of them. And their games just have something special about them because they have that they have that mindset of, okay, some characters can be static. You know, some characters aren't going to change, but major characters should be dynamic and should go through arcs. And so that's just, it's a really great video. I, I'm so glad that he made it. And I just really want every single one of you to go out there and watch Matt Colville's video on roleplay. So, with that out of the way, that concludes today's Rent from Behind the Screen. Now, the moment that you've all been waiting for, let us dig in to today's interview with Luke Hart of the DM Lair. I hope you all enjoy it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as promised, on today's episode, we have none other than Luke Hart from YouTube's The DM Layer. Luke, how you doing? Hey, what's up, man? I'm doing great. You? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Sweet. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, Luke, 
We are going to start today's interview uh, the same way we start every interview, although uh, I have tweaked the questions for those of you who've been following since the beginning, and this will be my first test run of these. So, Oh man, different questions? I haven't prepared for these ones. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so fortunately we're going to start off in familiar territory. Uh, Luke, how did you get into RPGs and D&D? So back in middle school, I think uh, I was at a bookstore or Meyer or something, and I was going to buy some dumb book, and my, my mom pointed me toward uh, a fantasy book, Ari Salvatore's Streams of Silver, and it had a picture of like a barbarian, um, a guy with swords, and a dwarf on there with an axe, and I'm like, that looks cool, so I started reading that stuff. And I was reading that. I read that book so many times. Then I found out there were more of them instead of reading more of these things. They're Forgotten Realms, you know, fantasy books. Mm -hmm. And then after after a while, I think my grandma took me to, I think it was a used bookshop. And I found the second edition player handbook and bought it. Had no idea what it was, but it had a picture of like fantasy warrior on the front or something. And so I took it home and I started reading it. And I realized that it was a game and I, I had no idea what it was. And so then I got my brother to start playing it with me. And then I after after I got tired of his antics because he wasn't the best player in the world i roped some people from uh high school into playing with me um and so that is kind of how we started doing it so i just grabbed the book and i became the dm because i had to run the game for someone gotcha. yeah streams of silver nice uh nice larry elmore cover oh yeah oh nice yeah we, <laughs> we just recently had him on the show yeah i saw that it's cool gotcha so uh next up um that first game was that uh which edition of D was that second edition Gotcha, gotcha. So that puts you up there with uh, pretty much everyone I know, starting in second edition. Yep, yep. I'd have to be a little bit older, I think, to have started in, like, before that, you know? <laughs> yep, gotcha. Now, uh, Luke, do you remember your first character? Uh, my first character that I ever played? Mm -hmm. I have no idea. The first character I ever played was probably, like, after college, when I was, you know, working a job. Because up until then, I had always been the dungeon master. I don't think I'd ever been a character. Yeah, um, but that was still a while ago. Mm -hmm. So I have, I have no idea. It was like it was probably second edition of 3.5 still, mm -hmm. but no idea. What's the first character that you remember? A rogue. A human rogue. <laughs> and the defining characteristic of this human rogue, this was fifth edition, is that he could not see in the dark. He had no dark vision. Okay, and to, to this day, I will not run a human because of the lack of dark vision. So imagine a rogue not being able to see in the dark, being tasked with sneaking ahead in a dungeon to scout it out. Okay, <laughs> not being able to see. It's like, okay, guys, I'm going to take a light source with me and reveal my position to everybody. So it was just a worthless build. And yeah, so I refuse to play humans. If mm -hmm. I, I, I might play a halfling because they're just kind of cool, but usually a requirement of any character I play these days is dark vision. It was it was a slightly traumatic experience, I think. Definitely. Although 5th edition does have uh, one word that will change maybe your stance on humans, and that one word is gloomstalker. Gloomstalker. That's like, what is that, a human thing? Just a human? So the gloomstalker is one of the ranger conclaves. So if you get up to third level in Ranger, you're basically given dark vision for free, and if you already have dark vision, then it's extended by 30 feet. And is this the one where you can basically become invisible when you're in darkness? Yes. Yeah, that's that's messed up. I have a player who's <laughs> I have a player who's doing that right now, and we had to l tweak that little ability because he was essentially invisible to all monsters everywhere. Mm -hmm. And he's he was he was doing Gloomstalker, splash some rogue, and had some assassin, and so he was he was one shotting like. CR eight giants, you know, just like going up and doing well over hundred hit points of damage and just decimating them mm -hmm. with this ability. So yeah, we had a little uh, a tweaking session, let us say. <laughs> <laughs> I need to keep that in mind because my plan. I'm I'm currently playing a gloom stalker. My plan was to take the rest of my levels after uh, fifth level in um, Inquisitive Rogue. So <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, he did Assassin Rogue, and so he just mm -hmm. he he's a he's a little. Uh, yeah, he kills stuff. Let's just put it that way. So I think we all kind of get the sense of this from the videos that you make. But um, in your own words, describe your play style both as a as a GM and then as a player. It's in it's interesting. I think I think they're very distinct actually. Mm -hmm. So as a dungeon master, I tend to run a. It's probably it's it's a mix between gritty and beer and pretzels. 
interestingly enough. So there's a, there's a definitely a sense of seriousness to the game, you know, in the sense that, you know, uh, there are consequences for actions, and it's like I put a lot of effort into it and stuff, you know. But there's also that camaraderie to it where we'll, we'll laugh about things. And there might be an NPC that I name Pidden Pop that naturally leads itself to being called Pudding Pop by my players. <laughs> and we just all laugh about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a there's a good mix. There's a there's a balance of seriousness and then we're all just there having fun as well. You know? So as a dungeon master, that's kind of my thing. I'm really into tactical combat. I love um, miniatures and grids. So mm-hmm. I one of my games I do run Theater of the Mind, but I love I love the tactical combat of grid and minis. So that's a pretty big focus on my games as well. Um, and as a player, I am I as a player, I'm surprised if I don't die every few sessions because I am, I am taken to doing really stupid things, taking risks, and also saying dumb things to NPCs that I shouldn't say that usually get me in trouble and sometimes killed. So I'm a very uh, – yeah. So as a player, I, I'm just kind of a little goofball, I guess you could call it. You know, <laughs> So it gets me in trouble a lot. Is it one of those things where you're you're the DM so often that when you're the player, you're like, oh, I got to make the most of this shit? I think I think that's part of it. I think that's part of it. I think I also have just a very like, a very like uh, playful, whimsical like personality, you know. Mm-hmm. And so like that comes out to the forefront when I'm a player. In fact, when I'm a player, I usually in my mind there's this like dialogue that's like, okay, Luke, ratchet it back, don't go crazy. Hold your, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like I got to keep myself under. I want. I don't want to mm-hmm. annoy the dungeon master or you know the other players with my dumb antics. So I got to try to keep it within reason. You know what I'm saying? Yep. All right, so here's where, for those of you listening along at home, there's going to be some changes kind of based on the answers that I've been getting to these questions. So, Luke, what is your fondest RPG memory? My fondest RPG memory? I think it was probably when uh, I did a video about it recently. Uh, my players tricked an ogre. They they basically got this ogre to fight on their side against some hobgoblins, and they told the ogre that the hobgoblins weren't giving him his fair share of meals and got him all upset, and the ogre <laughs> the ogre ended up fighting on their behalf, killing most of the hobgoblins for them, and then the ogre grabbed, but there was no meat. There was like a sheep, sheep shanks is what they were promised, what the ogre was promised. There were none, though. He got upset. I think he grabbed the bard, went to the top of a tower, and was basically like, give me the, give me my meat, or I drop the bar and I squish him. And then the <laughs> wizard, the wizard cast a minor illusion of a goat off the edge of the tower, and the giant had to jump toward it. And they convinced him to jump toward it. He jumped toward it. Obviously, went right through the illusion, smacked into the ground. All of the players surrounded him and just murdered him on the spot. And so it was just it. It was one of those game sessions where you. You go watch the video on my channel about that. My players mm-hmm. tricked an ogre. But it was one of those game sessions where you just had this sense of, like, wow, something magical is happening right now. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. at the end of the game session, we're all just like, whoa, that was just that was just stinking sweet, you know? So it's one of those where it's like you don't get that feeling, you know, super, super often, I think, in a game. Was that a moment where you as the DM were just like, okay, that's hilarious, but you all know you're going to hell, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I think that there's nothing morally wrong with that, you know. Fair enough. I mean, I mean they, they, they promised him some meat and stuff, so they lied, okay. But, mm-hmm. I mean, it's still an ogre, right? It needed to die, clearly. And so they just uh, yeah. they used him They used him first and then, you know, paid him his uh, price later, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But it was one of those moments, though, as a dungeon master where you can see the little mischievous wheels spinning in the players' heads. And you're like, oh, we're going to go along with this and see what happens, you know, and see if something really cool comes about, you know. So it was, it was awesome. And a lot of bad RPG moments are the result of a specific type of player colloquially known as that guy. So, Luke, what's your best or worst that guy story? Okay, so... I mean, I've only—I think I've only had one of those guys in my game, and uh, he—he was basically 
he was sort of like a rules lawyer guy. He was also a know-it-all. He also thought he, he, he pretty much knew everything, and he had been a dungeon master before. And so I don't have a problem with players, like, discuss something with me, and we have a conversation, you know, about a rule or something. But once I made a decision, we need to move on. Otherwise, the game is going to get bogged down. This guy habitually wanted to argue about rules and stuff. And the problem, the big problem is that, let us say that his interpretation of the English language was less than standard. In other words, the rule <laughs> was very clear that X was supposed to happen and probably all the other players were like yeah that's pretty obvious and yet he wanted to argue that it was like Y, Z and W you know and so that so that annoyed me constantly you know just that whole thing but then he he basically told another player at the end of a game session that he sucked as a player because he'd been playing for a year and still didn't still didn't know how to min max his build. He was looking for he was looking for certain expectations of how a player should play the game. Mm-hmm. You know, caused that player to quit, and then I ended up I ended up kicking that 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 guy out of the game and then getting the other player to come back. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it was one of those cases where like you know. Argue with me and annoying me, it's like, ah, I'll put up with that a little bit. But once you start causing my good players to leave the game, you know what I mean? That guy's got to go. So, right. yeah. it was Because if he doesn't, then he's driving all my good players away, and I'm stuck with the player that I don't want, you mm-hmm. know? And so that's probably my best example of that guy. Um, and my guy also had, I also had an instance of a, a guy who was like, at a gaming convention who was they were like wisp there there was a couple next to them and the two were like whispering to each other and like shooting glances at like the woman you know what i mean clearly mm-hmm. clearly talking about her right, right in front of like her husband you know what <laughs> i mean and i'm just yeah. like you guys are idiots and the husband called him out on he's like you got something to say and i'm just <laughs> like oh here we go and the two guys were cowards they just shut up right mm-hmm. but i'm just like you guys are you are you brain dead so anyway that was a that was a good situation all right so if you could make an rpg system for any fictional universe that doesn't have one or if you could update an old system with modern rules what would it be i have no i have no idea i think every (laughs) i would say star wars or star trek but those Mm -hmm. those obviously exist you know what i mean um that's where uh i love so R.R. Martin's books, maybe like his whole world, like his books. Let's be clear, his books. Yep. You know, those are interesting to me. I don't know if a system exists, but that I could see that being interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time books, I could see that being interesting. You know, I would want the. I would to to be clear though, with with a system based on Robert Jordan's books, the system would be need to be significantly more streamlined than his books themselves. Yeah. Um, uh, otherwise, otherwise, we'd have some issues. <laughs> yeah, there. So there was a uh, there was a D twenty Wheel of Time game. Okay, like all the way like back in the I, I guess I think that was three point five when it was the yeah. D twenty system, and okay. it was uh, interesting. It was put out by Green Ronin, but there has not been, as far as I know, any kind of recent Wheel of Time. So it would be cool to see kind of what someone could do, maybe with mm. like the fifth edition rule set with the Wheel of Time universe. Yeah, maybe. I think I think one of the most interesting parts of the Wheel of Time thing is the magic system, right, and how that worked. And and watching that develop during the books was really really awesome, you know. Mm-hmm. So I would like to see con- the conversion. I mean, I could imagine that much of like. The, the combat and stuff in Wheel of Time would probably convert fairly easily to just just use D&D 5th edition. Yeah. But the, mag- the magic system is the one where it's like, okay, how do you do that? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because like in, it, when you read the books, the magic users can pretty much use spells indefinitely, you know, for like entire days and just calling down waves of fire and stuff. So, I, you know, but, but of course different strengths and stuff like that. But that's probably represented by levels and whatnot. But yeah, so that would be interesting to see that for sure. And uh, last question of these introductory questions, Luke, if you could put anything, and I do mean anything, on a t-shirt, what would it be? <laughs> anything on a t-shirt? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. A French fry. I'm just picking something. <laughs> I, I, have, I have no idea. A cat. <laughs> a cat eating a French fry. I'm just picking some <laughs> random stuff for you, man. There you gotcha. go. A cat eating a French fry with ketchup on him. I don't know. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> it's always it's an interesting look into someone's psyche. That question. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Just... I, always, I always tell people it can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be. Yeah. It was basically it was basically an equation of uh, thinking of a French fry and then having a cat rubbing against my leg. Right now, <laughs> you know. So that's that's where that came from. 
Yeah, there there may very well be a cat in the background of this episode. My yeah, my roommate's cat Sophie loves to to make noise during uh, during podcasting hours. Yeah, nice. I got lots of cats that make noises too. So gotcha. It's all, it's all good. So Luke, before we get into the YouTube stuff, I know that you also uh, write adventures. So tell us a little bit about how you came to uh, to be publishing adventures on Drive Through RPG. So I think it probably started because before I before I even started doing YouTube, I think, or right toward the very beginning of it when my videos were really, really bad still, um, I saw somebody do a Kickstarter and they were publishing adventures. And I was like, huh, this is interesting. Because I, I write, I, I've been doing homebrew. I've always run homebrew. I always write my own stuff. Now, back in the day, it was really horrible, right? But I read my own stuff, so I'm like, people are publishing adventures. I, they're making money on that. Let me check this out. I checked out a Kickstarter. I kickstarted it. I got the product, and it was absolutely horrible. It was horrible, and they they made, like, I want to say $6,000 on their Kickstarter. And I'm like, mm-hmm. this is a flaming pile, and they made six grand, and I... I mean, their writing quality was just atrocious. I'm, so to put this in perspective, for my day job, I'm a professional writer. I do technical writing. And gotcha. so, and I studied English and literature in, in college. That's my degree. And so like, I saw this and I'm like, they're making money and they have the skills of a middle schooler as a writer, you know? And so I'm like, I can do this. And so I just started doing my own little things based on my own stuff and putting them up on drive through RPG, you know? And I'm sure they're, they're not, they're, they're nothing near like professional grade. Like if you buy like something from wizards or something you know but it's like it's it it beats that kickstarter (laughs) i'll guarantee you that (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah it's kickstarter is really an interesting interesting creature i've had several people on here who've uh been through the kickstarter thing including our mutual friend dm dave yeah and it's sometimes it's frankly amazing what people will throw money at yeah and you can see that all throughout. I, I don't know how closely you follow the video game world, but you can see that uh, played out multiple different times with with stuff that's come through there. Yeah, totally. So I I'm actually thinking I'm my next my next move is to do a t- Kickstarter of my own, and I'm like kicking around a few ideas for it. But it's probably it's probably not going to come until my channel is I think around a hundred thousand. Uh, subscribers, mostly just for to maximize the the marketing, the exposure, and stuff like yeah. that. You know what I mean? Um, so, but yeah, that's that's like my next thing is the Kickstarter because like right now, I mean, if you look at Nerdarchy, they just made a quarter of a million on their Kickstarter, wildly successful. You know, mm-hmm. obviously we know about Colville and his success and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, when you when you're an influencer and you have an audience and then you have a good product that people are excited about, you know what I mean? That's that's just good business move. You know. Yep. Getting back to kind of the the main thing that you're known for, what was it that made you want to start making videos on YouTube? So I think what started it was one of my players, Matt, came in one day to our game and he was like, hey, is it okay if I record our game and put it up on YouTube? And I was like, sure, why not? And so he he started recording our game and putting it up on his YouTube channel. And then I was, it, it kind of occurred to me like, oh, I could... I could start doing that too, you know, but then it occurred to me, I had just, at this time, I was just getting into fifth edition, like really hardcore. And I had started, I started watching Matt Colville's videos. Um, so I've been, I, I think I started watching him when he was around 5,000 subscribers or something. You know, I started watching his stuff and I was in the d- dungeon and I've been doing a, du- I've been a dungeon master for a while, you know, and I'm like, you know what? I could do videos too on YouTube, you know? And so I just kind of started, I think it was uh, 2017, the summer of 2017, when I started doing videos on YouTube, and they were really bad, and they were released like one video every like three months or something. It was just like, you know, whatever. But then I started getting serious about it in January of 2018, you know, it's really started ratcheting things up and working on getting better at it and stuff like that. But that's, that's kind of where it all came from. I think it was a combination of my friend recording our games and putting it on YouTube and then seeing Matt Colvin, what he's doing and kind of having the thought of, Hey, you know what? I could, I could do a video of me talking about dungeon mastering too. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And uh, a question that I have that's really kind of been been burning uh, in in my mind ever since you agreed to do this episode, ever since I even like saw the first video of yours that I saw. Mm-hmm. When you do the barbarian voice, how badly does that hurt 
afterwards. Oh, no, it's not that bad. I mean, there's a little <laughs> bit of scratchiness. And I'm going to be honest with you. I once did a video where I was the barbarian for about an hour. I was I was <laughs> teaching people how to make a character sheet, make a, a, a player from scratch. And I'll tell you what, after I got done recording that video, my throat was destroyed. And I could <laughs> I really couldn't talk a whole lot. So it's not that it hurts like right away, but about after a half an hour, you really start to feel it. Is that how's that? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I had a situation. I much like you. I love to do voices for my NPCs and yeah. my my characters. And sometimes I run into a situation where I've committed to a voice yes. that's very difficult to sustain. Yes. And I ran into a situation in my game on Saturday where I introduced an NPC and I gave him kind of a gravelly, like Tom Waits type voice. So I just start talking like this and yeah. I talk like this for an extended period of role play. Yep. And then I start to notice, oh my God, this hurts like hell. Yeah, yeah. Can't do this anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I have the similar thing. Like, usually for me, it's my evil voice, you know? Like, my very raspy, gravelly, like, what are you doing here? I'm going to kill you all. Now bow before me. You know what I mean? So that yep. that voice, that really gra raspy, gravelly, evil voice, that's the one that gets me the most, you mm -hmm. know? And so I there have, been, there have been times where I committed to that voice, and then I just stopped and I told my players, okay, guys, I'm going to talk in Luke's voice now because, like, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> I just – I level set with them. I'm like, I can't do that for, like, you know, more than, like, five minutes, you know, so – because it hurts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there, there was a situation. One of my characters I gave a German accent to and there were multiple situations where my – my uh, friends – I was a player in that game. My friends were like, all right, can you say that again but in your voice? Mm, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, so usually, usually I don't practice a lot of my voices ahead of time for my mm. th for say throwaway P NPCs or even like normal NPCs. But I'll just go with something. I'll just start doing something, and then what happens though is that for the first few minutes, my accent and my everything will kind of fluctuate. <laughs> until I until I actually settle on what I'm actually going to be, you yeah. know, and so my players will call me out on it, and they're like, "I don't is that was that a Russian accent? Was that <laughs> Scottish? What what were you doing there, Luke?" And I'm and I'll just be like, "I just ignore them. I just keep going. Yep. <laughs> I threaten yeah. them in character or something, you know." <laughs> yeah, that happens to me all the time. I do a walking tour of Europe. Oh yeah, it's hard. It's, yeah, it's hard. Like especially, I'm not I'm not very good at a like a Scottish accent, but I played a dwarf once. So here's the thing: when I'm a player, I I commit to a voice and I will talk in character almost the entire time. It's very rare for me to not talk in character. You know, I just I try to do that throughout the entire four hour game session as much as possible. And I I did a I was doing I was role playing a dwarf and we all know that dwarves all have Scottish accents and I think mm -hmm. that's encoded in the rule set somewhere and so I was doing my my this horrible horrible Scottish accent but I stuck with it and I was actually watching YouTube videos about how to do Scottish accents you know and all this rolling of the R's and the stuff they do you know and mm -hmm. so I, I was doing my best but it was it was probably really really bad yeah I sometimes I struggle with the Scottish accent as well. Yeah, my I, my friend had me do a video for him. He was doing uh, some sort of game. He was making a game, and he was entering a contest with it. And he, I did like a video for him to like you know showcase his game. And uh, I role played a Russian guy, and so I was I was watching YouTube videos to learn a Russian voice, you know, and how to speak that way. So, you know, and then they had me dress up in like a like a tracksuit type of thing, you know. <laughs> Because for it's like whatever reason it seems to be a pretty popular thing. So uh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> gotcha. So with your YouTube channel, what have been some of the difficulties with kind of building your audience? Because I used to do the YouTube thing, not with D and D. I used to review comic book movies on YouTube. Yeah. And I noticed it was just a nightmare to get people to watch your videos. What yep. have been some of your struggles in building this channel? Yeah, there, it's definitely at the very beginning. It's it's super super rough for most for mo almost everybody, I would say. And the the struggle is there's there's two things this want that's going on. First of all, 
your videos suck. You know, no matter how much you love them and no matter how much you think they're awesome, they suck. Like, I'll go back to, like, even videos from, like, probably, you know, six months ago or three months ago, and they probably suck compared to what I do now, you know, in my opinion. But when you first start, you think that my videos are awesome and why aren't people watching them, you know? So part of it, part of it is you need to grow and get better, you know, so that, you know, your content is uh, appealing enough and compelling enough that people watch it. But at the same time, you know, um, you just need to keep on making videos so that you can actually get better at it, you know? And so there's this grind involved. You need, you need to keep the making the videos so that you can actually perfect your craft and get better at it so that you don't suck quite so bad so that people will actually watch you and subscribe to you, you know? But at the same time, too, you also the other the other you can't just keep making videos and putting them out there and just hoping and praying. You have to do some like uh, 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 self promotion. You you have to go there, you know. And in all honesty, one of the one of the most effective places that I found to self promote was Reddit. And also, ironically, that community typically hates self-promotion yeah. and so the that when you said what was your one of your biggest struggles immediately i thought of reddit because like it's i, I when i wasn't self-promoting i got nothing and then i started just throwing links in reddit and all of a sudden i was breaking 100 views on a video and i was like holy crap this is my first video that like broke 100 views you know because i put a link on reddit but what happens then is so then i started like you know, promoting on Reddit. I was trying to do it very tactfully, you know, not just here's to drop a link, but put some, put some conversation around it, put some copy around it, you know, and start a conversation and stuff. But I was still, I was still self-promoting. It was no, nobody's going to overlook that fact. And so the thing is, is that sometimes every time I would post on there, I'd be like, okay, it's going to go one of two ways. I'm going to get a couple positive comments and the thread will be mostly okay. You know, or I'm going to get like a gatekeeper is going to sort by new, find me and then come in and smear me, you know, and that's going to set the tone for all the rest of the posts. And then I'm just going to have like a whole bunch of people dogpiling on me, you know, and so there was always this trepidation before I would do these things of like, is it going to go well or is it going to go bad? I would literally feel anxiety over that stuff. And so finally it was it was probably like half a year ago or so. I was finally like, you know what, this is before my channel. Uh, had a really good video, which caused it to explode a lot. I was just like, you know what? I'm no longer dealing with this anxiety and this trepidation every time I post on there. I'm done self-promoting on Reddit. I'm I'm done with that community. I'm tired of the negativity and, and all that kind of stuff, you know. And so I just that 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 right there is my biggest struggle was to get, was that initial growth and have you because you have to put the word out, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. People hate self-promoters, but it's like you know if you don't do it, then how are you going to get discovered? It's you know what I mean? It's really right. hard. It's it's like a it's hard it's hard man That's, I don't know what to say it sucks <laughs> oh yeah I I have not cracked the code to self promotion on Reddit because every time I put a link up I will get maybe six upvotes if it's something that people are really interested in if it's not then downvote city all day yeah it's crazy um I I I don't know what it is I'll tell you what though there's a YouTube channel called the Dungeon Dudes and I. I've seen a they they do some stuff they do some self promotion on Reddit as well at least they used to I don't know if they still do but I was looking at what they did and they seemed to be pretty successful at it like from what I saw they were they were it was working for them you know mm-hmm. and so they might have some insights that I that we don't have I don't know um, yeah. but it, it seemed to be working for them <laughs> when I when I do post stuff on Reddit I will message the mods of that subreddit and say hey I've got this going on is it okay if I post and usually they'll be like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Just don't just don't do too much self-promotion. But like with with the Elmore interview recently and then even earlier, like when I had uh, Shane Hensley on the show, I went on the, the relevant subreddits like I went on the Deadlands subreddit and the mods were super excited that I had Shane Hensley on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I put the link up. Nothing. Yeah. No no help from them. Yeah. And uh, like again like six upvotes and a, a few people kind of saying, "Hey, great interview. Maybe do some tweaks here with your audio stuff and stuff like that." And so there was a, a little bit of of good uh, feedback from those episodes, but like with the Larry Elmore episode, even some of the mods that I messaged and they said, "Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll help you out." I, I posted it on their subreddits and then the auto the the bot showed up and was like hey you can't post that here <laughs> nice all right fine <laughs> that's awesome yeah i don't know it's like yeah it's 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 difficult i'm i'm happy to say that i have limited involvement any any more these days with reddit you know mm-hmm. i i i have 
I've been fairly successful at developing my own community of folks and other dungeon masters and stuff. You know, that's um, a much much more positive community. In fact, in fact, my Discord server, I go out of my way to promote positivity and this cooperative, collaborative nature. You know, in so much as like not allowing people to swear and stuff like that. You know. <laughs> And that's probably in part based upon like my negative experience with Reddit. It's like, dude, I don't, I don't want that. I want people to have a place where they can come, and it's like this environment of like we're all here to help each other, not we're all here to piss on you. You know what I mean? Because that, right. yeah, it's just that's that's garbage, man. Nobody should, and it's the culture. It's I, I think it's not the people. I, I think it's the culture. It, it, it just brings out the negativity in everybody. And when nobody's like setting like a pace car of positivity and like the negativity is raining and nobody steps in and says, Hey, this isn't cool. Then everybody just becomes more and more negative. You know what I mean? And it's, and it's, it's horrible too, because like, um, if you compare different sites, like if you compare Reddit to Facebook and other places, the inf- the quality of information on Reddit is amazing. Like the people on there are super smart and you get lots of good posts on there with lots of good information. You know what I mean? If the, <laughs> If the environment were a little more positive, I think that that would be an overall good for humanity. <laughs> that makes sense. So yeah, yeah, and that's—I mean—that's something that I really like about Discord, uh, just as kind of a social media tool. Mm-hmm. I there's a lot of really cool people that I've met just from Discord, and having Discords usually formed by a content creator around a certain uh, common interest. It's a great way to, to get a lot of people together and to have some, some really cool conversations. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I mean, I would, I would uh, give Discord a much higher rating if it had threaded comments similar yeah. to Reddit. Like I go to my Discord and I have like 1,500 people in my Discord now, mm-hmm. tons of people talking, you know, and I go into our, our general chat or even our DM questions chat and I I can't follow the conversation. There's There might be multiple conversations. I don't know where it began and stuff. If Discord had a... A, a option for a channel where you can make it threaded like Reddit, it would for me that would be awesome because then you can actually see the original post and then follow the conversation and make comments and stuff as opposed to like the mishmash you have now. You know, so it, all in all, it's amazing. If they had that one thing, I would probably have like give it a ten out of ten. You know, what I mean, I have no qualms with it. So kind of moving back into the realm of your your videos and. Again, uh, mentioning the uh, the characters you have at the beginning, uh, are those characters based on your players, or are they based on just multiple different situations you've had with players, or where did those come from? I think I just randomly created them. Gotcha. I, I literally was like, okay, I need. To, I'm going to start doing these players, you know, and like I, I think I started with the barbarian. And then, and then I was like, okay, we'll do a rogue and a wizard and a fighter. And I think part of it too was based upon like the props that I had available. I used mm-hmm. to be in um, SCA back in college, so I had this like shield and this like leather armor I made and this big helmet and junk. And so I was like, okay, I can do a fighter and I can do a barbarian. And like, and then I bought like some. You can get a wizard costume and a cloak and stuff off Amazon for super cheap. And so I was like, oh, I could do those things. And then I was like, oh, then I can do like a warlock with just a mask. You know what I mean? Um, With the skull mask. And so I think there was no real much rhyme or reason to it. It was just kind of, I just picked them and I rolled with them. So, yeah. Unfortunately, there's no deeper philosophical truth to my choice (laughs) there. (laughs) I I do have to give you... uh give you some applause for including those characters a lot of the the channels that i see have cold opens uh i mean matt colville usually does some kind of poetic soliloquy before whatever topic he's talking about and then uh jim davis and pruitt over on web dm also usually have a a somewhat entertaining usually kind of humorous uh skit before they launch in as well but your players get me every time uh, that, what, that's one of the best hooks I've ever seen for a D&D huh. video. What, in what way do they get you? I'm, you got me curious now. <laughs> Just, I, I hear their conversation, and I'm laughing because I've either been a part of this conversation at the table, yeah. or I've witnessed this conversation from behind the screen. 
Okay, yeah, totally. It's interesting because I think my viewers have a love-hate relationship with the with the with the skits. In, in other words, either they love them and they're like that's amazing or they hate them and they're like your 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 content, your information is awesome. I wish you would stop doing the stupid skits. And so it seems like it's one or the other. You know, now I did a poll. Actually, I had I was getting lots of comments from people saying they didn't like the skits, but you know how it is. Um, most people are more inclined to to say negative stuff than positive half the time. So I did a poll, you know, on my channel just to see what people generally would like, and like overwhelmingly, people love the skits. There's just you know a small percentage that hate them and are very vocal about them. You know, so it's always so. Anytime somebody says they like the skits, I'm always like, why? I want to understand why you like them. <laughs> Cause like I just I fell into them. There was no real rhyme or reason to my doing them. I was just I started kind of like slowly going into them, and then once I started doing them, I was like, yeah, this is a great way to open the video with something that's interesting. You know, that introduces the topic, gives me an opportunity to do something a little bit funny. You know what I mean? Maybe a little bit entertaining or something. Then just my coming on and saying, today on the DM layer, we're going to talk about spells that break your dungeon and what you can do as a dungeon master about them. You know, and then going into like a bumper and then coming on and saying, hey, I'm Luke Hart type of thing. And so it was just it was a it was a creative way for me to intro my videos. And when I look at my analytics too, like there it's the, the drop off is pretty low for those skits as well. If you look at a lot of uh, metrics, uh, a lot of times you see a very steep drop off within the first uh 15 to 30 seconds of a video and then it kind of levels out a little bit you know but I, since i started doing those skits my drop off is significantly lower you know so it, the the numbers definitely tell me that folks like them or or at least hate them enough to watch them and make fun of me i don't know you know <laughs> yeah and maybe it's one of those things where like the, the, your longtime audience members are like all right okay we get the joke yeah. Uh huh. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And I usually, I usually try to have some sort of joke or humor situation in them, you know. And it's usually, it's usually pulled from stuff that, like you said, we've all seen this happen in a game. Yeah. You know, the player who cheats, you know, and then the other players who get upset at him and want to hurt him because they know he's cheating. And then, and then the dungeon master who doesn't have the courage to do anything about it. And he's just like, ah, you know what I mean? The, these, mm -hmm. these situations happen. Yeah. And I mean, that leads me to another thing I wanted to, to talk with you about on the show. The video that you recently did on players who cheat. Yeah. Um, while you you seem to want to focus on the positive sides of D&D. &D. I am the same way. I love talking about how much I love D&D. &D. But the bottom line is there are people who view this game as a win-lose situation. And if they don't get to do what they want to yeah. do, they consider it losing D&D. &D and yeah. they will, by hook or by crook, accomplish whatever it is they wanted to do. And I, I, really, I really loved that you took the time to go over all the, or most of the different ways that people cheat in the game and how to deal with it as a DM. Right. Yeah. Interestingly enough, I, I think I overlooked the most important way to deal with cheaters, which is to talk to them, you know? So I don't think I mentioned that, but I went over lots of other things, but you're right. I think that's, and you know, you bring up a good point because the, the thing that I love about Dungeons and Dragons, and I think the thing that brings, that attracts many people to it is that it is a collaborative game. Everybody is playing together. You don't, you're not playing, a, it's not risk where somebody's going to lose. Many people are going to lose and one person wins. It's not a video game where you win or lose it's there there are no winners and there are no losers i should say everybody's a winner as long as you're having fun everybody's a winner i have mm -hmm. so much fun as a player when my character dies i enjoy that because then i make another character who does stupid stuff and dies again you know the game always just keeps on going and so the whole and i've talked about i have a, my friend john at work we've talked about this before it doesn't make any sense to cheat in dungeons and dragons like why would you cheat you, you get nothing out of it you know what i mean unless mm -hmm. unless you have there, obviously, like you mentioned, there are some people that must have this attitude that they need to win. They need to get better at it. Now, um, one of the things I noticed, I had I had an overwhelming number of people leave comments on that video saying they didn't understand why it was cheating to look up monster stat blocks. Okay, oh, it's totally cheating. And I, I know I'm just I, I'm reading these comments and I'm just like, are you insane? Like. What's wrong with you? Don't you understand? And obviously they don't understand. And so I'm actually going to do a follow-up video uh, soonish 
um, month, two months, I don't know, about metagaming. So I'm going to lay it yeah. out. Okay. Hello, people. This is metagaming. Now, here's the thing. I think it's possible either those people, you know, have this kind of win or lose attitude or they just obviously don't know. But it's 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 the antithesis of role playing. You know, like your character doesn't know that that dragon has X, X, Y, and Z stat block abilities. So mm-hmm. when you when you as a player learn it all and then have your character act based on that, you're not role-playing anymore. You're playing a right. video game where you need to win, so you go onto Google and you find some tricks and guides that will tell you the quickest route to defeat something and then you go and win you know so it's like the it's one of the biggest forms of cheating quite possibly and amazingly tons of people were arguing you know that it wasn't you know which blew my mind and so obviously i got to do a video on that (laughs) yeah and i mean metagaming is one of those things that often falls into kind of a gray area of okay what is and is not metagaming yeah that is like the most egregious form of metagaming. Yeah, absolutely. And it's even like I had a DM one time. All of us had been playing together for almost four years and we all knew fifth edition inside and out. And what she decided to do was just to kind of keep us from kind of those metagaming tendencies of, okay, so we weren't like opening the monster manual going, oh, it has this many hit points, this AC, it can take these actions, but something would show up and we'd immediately be like, oh, that's a manticore. Yep. And then we, we'd kind of have an idea in, in our heads of what to do. What she did was she took Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, the most recent book at the time, the most recent monster book at the time. Yeah. And uh, took monsters either from that, because none of us had it, or uh, found homebrew stuff online that we did not recognize. Yeah. And that was the exclusive like content of her monsters, was all this stuff that we knew nothing about, mm-hmm. just so that she could surprise us. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, that's and that's definitely a route you can go. I've I've had players before that knew the stuff, and they would, you know, they would go out of their way not to use a fire spell on a troll, for instance, because they're like, my character doesn't know this, so I'm just gonna not cast a fire spell. You know what I mean? Type of right. thing. So I've I've always kind of been of the opinion that metagaming shouldn't break my game. You know, if my if my game is so fragile that a little bit of metagaming breaks it, then I'm probably not doing something totally up to snuff as a dungeon master. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, I I don't I personally don't worry a whole lot about it. You know, and I, you know there is some metagaming that happens, and I might give like a gentle reminder to my player. I might mock them a little bit to kind of say, "Hey, you're metagaming. I know you're metagaming." You know what I mean? But I don't really do anything about it. In the in, unless it's super egregious, because I just kind of don't care. You know right. what I mean? As long as it's not you know totally destroying something. You know, like for instance, the the player looked up the module ahead of time and knew how the module went. You know yeah. what I mean? And then was like, wait a second. Actually, this actually happened to me. I think one time a player did look up a module ahead of time because there was something I was running from a module that was supposed to require an action, and I gave it to my NPCs as like a free action, and he was mm-hmm. questioning me about that. Wait, that that's not an action? You know what I mean? To do that? And, yeah. and I was like, little warning bells are going off, and I'm like, you read the module. Ironic. Interestingly enough, that's the same guy I told you I kicked out of my game. You know, so yeah. he was probably also looking up <laughs> module stuff as well. Yeah. And I'm just like, dude, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, that's the the one type of metagaming that I enforce in my games is when people act on information from a conversation they weren't present for. Yes. Yeah. I I, I as much as possible, I like to take players out of the room for stuff like that. You yeah. know, and do that little role playing out somewhere else and then let the players come back and tell everybody what they learned if they want to because there's also there's always a possibility that they won't want to tell them or but usually what happens is they give them the summary which leaves out important information you know mm-hmm. and so I, a lot of times i try to do that not always because you know sometimes i'm lazy <laughs> like anybody else but you also don't want to have a 20 minute conversation and everybody else is just on their cell phones too mm-hmm. you know so but anyway yeah i've got i've got a player in my game right now who's her character is extremely secretive, so secretive that, I, like, I've been passing notes with her about different stuff. She has not even pursued, like, the, the story that I've set up for her yet because it would reveal too much. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, there's this whole area over here that I have planned for you. Uh-huh. I would like you to get there at some point. Right. And she just doesn't want to go there because it's going to reveal too much about yeah. her past or, or something about her character. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most of well, I don't. I've never. I don't think I've had a player that was like that. I I I, mm-hmm. I was role playing one character once that was a little bit like that. It was a it was a Marvel superheroes game, and my character was made out of metal, and I didn't want anybody to know I was made out of metal for <laughs> for some reason. And so I was going to great lengths not to let anybody know. And then the dungeon master made some sort of comment about my being made out of metal, and I was like, no! <laughs> Why did you tell everybody? It didn't matter, but it was just a weird thing, you know? So Yeah, and I think part of it is, so that group is all new players. It's my wife, who I'm just now teaching how to play uh, Dungeons & Dragons, and then it's two of her friends who've played a little bit, but not a whole lot. And so a lot of it's just kind of learning how to play the game and learning how to be true to the character you have in your mind, but still, like, cooperate with other players and, and all all that that goes along with it, which is yeah. a lesson that a lot of new players have to learn. Yeah, yeah, totally. Absolutely. I wish my wife would play games. I wish she would play <laughs> D&D. <laughs> she is not interested in it, though. I tried, I tried, but it didn't It didn't work. <laughs> my wife, fortunately, she's having fun with my game, but she's, she's discovering that her biggest problem with D&D is the fact that it's such a time commitment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so th- that's really what's holding her back. She likes the game itself, but she doesn't like having to carve out three to five hours of yeah. time every week to in her mind play a game and i'm like it's not a game it's my life right well you have to you have to explain to her i mean you got to set a higher so you have to explain that the dungeon master for each you know usually instead of the three to five hours he's spending you know a couple two to three hours outside of the game prepping for that yeah. game session and so like you know i'm spending nine hours you're only <laughs> spending three so you gotta yeah. if you set that higher like you know nine hours thing and then that makes that three not seem that bad you know mm. so yeah <laughs> the, the only problem there is that she notices how much time i'm spending on dnt yeah oh yeah my my <laughs> wife does too i mean i go out of my way to you know make sure that i I'm spending time with my wife. Set aside yep. that hour a day and, you know, time on the weekend to take her out and stuff because, you know, mm-hmm. D&D is – and making videos and all the other things that come along with it is slowly consuming more and more of my life. And so I'm yep. trying to as much as possible. It's like, okay, dude, you're, 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 you're a husband and a father before you're a dungeon master, man. Let's go, you know, mm-hmm. so. So another thing I wanted to talk with you about specific to your videos, you have over – a decent amount of time, but you recently put out a video in the series. You've done multiple videos on encounter tactics yeah. from the Dungeon Master's perspective. Yep. And these tools, I've honestly found them to be invaluable. I used your uh, hag scarecrow setup in oh, my yeah. last session. <laughs> Did you have the, the doors and the windows come alive and try to bite people if they escaped? Was that in my video? Uh, that was not in that video. Okay. Or it might have been, but I, I did not have the opportunity okay. to oh, use that. Yeah, that's and, cool. Yeah, that's that's a great one. I, I, that's that's from uh, that's Granny Titchwillow, by the way. She is one of my mm. reoccurring NPCs that like I am just able to pull, kind of pull out and plop down when I need her in whatever game. So most of my groups have run into Granny Titchwill at one point or another. Yeah. But that's something I, I kind of wanted to, to talk with you a little bit about the tactical aspect of fifth edition in particular because that's something that i feel like is is lacking from the fifth edition monster manual Mm. that only showed up in volo's guide which i mean still a lot of players only have those core three rule books yeah do you think that fifth edition for all the good that it does has maybe let players down kind of in the or let dungeon masters in particular down in the tactical aspect of the game I mean, so there are, like, tactical options, you could say, not in the rule set. So there are only a few things you can do. You can attack, you can shove, you can push. You know, there are some Dungeon Master Guide options, like Overrun and stuff. You know, so <laughs> there, 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 are, there is a lack of tactics, you know. But I think that there is an overwhelming sense of freedom, though, in that mm-hmm. if, you, if you encourage your players to think about things, you know, and ask you, hey, you know, can I do this, you know, and then... And then just improvise and say, yes, it's going to require an action, make an athletics check, and then you can try to do it. You know, there's no reason you can't do any of the number of tactical things that you could do in any other game system. It's just that they're not spelled out in the rules and it's up to your imagination. And then your dungeon master being flexible enough to, you know, react to that and improvise with it. But there is something missing out of the rule set. But the I think the 
the balance to that is that if all of the these various tactical options are in there, right, then the rules just kind of get more and more bloated, and then you mm-hmm. you shift away. Because one of the one of the beautiful things about Fifth Edition is that it's a little bit rules light. You know, you don't have yeah. the heavy rules of three point five or Pathfinder or something. You know, mm-hmm. and so and that's one of the things I like about it. But I think I'm really heavy on tactics, but I I actually don't do a whole lot of things that are outside of the core rule set. You know, a lot of the mm-hmm. tactics that I use as a dungeon master are using things that are in the books, that are in the core rule books. You know, I'm just like I'm doing things like my wizard will he'll cast a spell, he'll pop around a corner. You know, and then my players are like, oh crap, we can't target him. How do we get to him? You know, or you know what I mean. So it's just there are little yeah. things like that that like make sense, but are totally within the rule set. So. I would say the answer to your question is yes, but it's also no, as long as you have enough creativity to to think around it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you on that. The only thing, I mean, the the only real thing that kind of bothered me as far as tactics in, in DM resources was when I was first starting out, not being as familiar with the D&D monsters, mm. I did not know kind of what to put with what to mm. make a good encounter. Right. I had, I mean, I had the specific uh, situation that you actually pointed out in one of your videos where I threw one Rakshasa yep. at, at my players, <laughs> and because of action economy, <laughs> they gacked him in a round. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that you're, you're totally right in that the core rulebook does not tell people that this is how things go. So a lot of the information I have in my videos is stuff that I've learned over you know, the, however many years I've been doing fifth edition, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're just, yep. they're just tactics and strategies that as a dungeon master, I've had so many bosses get their butts kicked in one round because they're all by themselves. And it's like, they need minions. I've had so many bosses get hit with a hold, hold person spell and then die immediately without doing anything. They need legendary resistances. You know what yep. I mean? You need these things, you know, you have to add these. And, and so these are, these are like hard lessons that you learn when you fail utterly as a dungeon master and you walk away from the game session and you say that sucked how could i not let that happen again cuz cuz ultimately when when that happens to your boss it's not that you didn't you know win you didn't you know do well in the battle it's that you let your players down because yep. they were looking for a climatic awesome boss fight and instead that boss died in one round now they, I, I've had players before, before I got a little wiser, I've had players before that, you know, the paladin goes up in round one, he hits with a crit, he does a smite at level three, the boss is instantly killed, and he says immediately afterward, he's like, that was a letdown. You know, mm-hmm. it's like I failed him as a dungeon master because the boss was too easy. They wanted, because see, what, what, they, what they, I think a lot of times what they kind of in, maybe interiorly, interiorly want is, uh, they want it to be a little bit hard and gritty, and they want there to be like, are we going to win or are we going to lose? You know what I mean? But then they yeah. kind of pull through because then the victory seems that – I've had players like when the boss finally goes down cheer at the table because they didn't think they were going to win. And the best boss fights are the one where it swings back and forth. One side is winning and losing, or you know, and then it keeps swinging back and forth. You know what I mean? And so those, I think those sorts of fights are what I go for with like boss fights. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, kind of as we're wrapping up here, I want to ask you a little bit about the future of uh, your channel. Now, as you said at the beginning of this episode, you're, you're currently doing this uh, part time. Do you ever see yourself being successful enough to make these videos and and your adventures your full time gig? I mean, I think that that is definitely in the cards for the future, I hope. Um, that is my goal. My ultimate goal is not to have to work for the man, but to be the man, you know? Yeah. And so my my current game plan is keep doing what I'm doing, grow my channel. Kickstarter, I think, is the way – The Kickstarter, I think, is the key to financial freedom as far as, like, being able to quit my day job, you know? But yeah. there are lots of things with the day job, with the the health insurance, the 401k, that's all got to be made up. You know what I mean? So my current yeah. plan and what I've discussed with my wife is I want to try to make a bunch of money so that I can pay off the mortgage because once that's paid off, then you have a lot more freedom. You know what I mean? And at that Absolutely. point, depending on what the revenue stream looks like with my, with my YouTube channel and the other stuff that I'm doing, then at that point – 
you know, I can look at do can I can I stop working my full time job and do this full time, you know, and then maybe start up a second channel or something or, you know, whatever, do more, make more stuff that's going to help more people, you know what I mean, or, or something. But that is definitely yeah. hopefully in the future somewhere for me, because like when I do what I do and I talk with folks like you or I go to gaming conventions and I run games and and I do all of these things, they're they're fun, they're enjoyable, and I'm also helping people. I'm helping people get better at du- being a dungeon master. I'm helping them enjoy the game more. I get tons of comments from people thanking me for what I do. And it's like I'm not only having fun and enjoying it, but I'm offering a service and I'm doing something that's very valuable and something that improves people's lives. And when you do that, and then you go to your nine to five and you're, you're, you're like, this sucks. Why am I here? I wish I could not be here. I wish I could be go doing this thing that I love doing and it's helping people as opposed mm-hmm. to like working here, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Gotcha. And uh, do you ever see yourself using uh, a site like Patreon to, to support yourself? I, I mean, I have a Patreon. Oh, gotcha. I have, I have, I have lots of people <laughs> on Patreon supporting me. Well, re- lots is relative. It's relative to zero, I should say. But yeah, I've got I've got several patrons, really really gotcha. awesome, and uh, some of them actually uh, we're starting up a Patreon game together. Like I'm running D and D for them. That was one of my tiers, and so that's actually starting up next week. And so yeah, it's gotcha. it's really cool. I think page, Patreon's awesome. I, I think that's definitely uh, if you're looking for for influencers and creators out there, Patreon is such a such a godsend in a way. You know, what I mean, to have that mechanism available for us, so it's really cool. At what size audience do you think is it is it a good point to start up a Patreon? So it's interesting. Um, I think probably sooner is better than later, um, mm-hmm. only because. You know, I had patrons when I was still a small channel. When I was still around 3,000 subscribers, I had a couple people sign up for that, you know. So I wouldn't I, – I don't know that I would wait until I had like, you know, 10,000 or 20,000 or 30,000 because I was I was still at 3,000 and my videos and the information I was putting out was really high quality. Even when I was like, you know, a super small channel under 1,000, a lot of the information was still really valuable information. In other words, like – Luke's information didn't just get better because he had more subs or something. I've always been mm-hmm. putting out good information. I, I think I have at least. And the so there's people will see that and they'll see value in that, you know. And they might say, "Look, he's only got a thousand subscribers, but his stuff is super, super valuable. I'm going to support this guy because he's helping me, you know." So I would, I would, I would encourage people not to like sell themselves short, you know. Um, right. So I think jump on it, you know. And um, if you're doing something that's valuable that people find value it's an exchange of value you know if you're doing something valuable and people see that you're going to have people that want to want to help you out because they're getting value out of what you're doing gotcha well uh luke thank you so much for coming on the show today thank you for for agreeing to do this episode i really appreciate uh talking with you and i really appreciate all the work you've done as a content creator like i said i've i've used your advice i've used even i've wholeheartedly stolen stuff that you have used as examples. Yeah. And so I th- I thank you for everything you've done, and I thank you for agreeing to come on the show with me. Yeah, absolutely. This has been fun, dude. Absolutely. And everything I do is intended to be stolen. So don't yeah. don't feel guilty about that. It's out there to be stolen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Well, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. Uh, as always, tell your friends, uh, tell everyone you know that Rolling Bones with Ryan Howard is where you can get great interviews like this. Next week, I'm bringing on yet another one of my old friends from that old classic D&D group. Uh, this guy's Joe Maldonado. He and I do not know each other as well as I know the other one, so this is going to be a really interesting kind of get-to-know-you interview. But we're also going to talk about taking 5th edition rules and applying them to settings that are not necessarily medieval fantasy. And I'm just going to leave it at that for now because Joe has some really cool ideas that I want him to talk about. Uh, But until next time, uh, Luke, why don't you sign us off this time with your your sign-off line? And until next time, let's play D&D.